Welcome to a special Lancet podcast. I'm Richard Lane on Monday, October the 20th, where today in Beijing has seen the launch of the Lancet series on health system reform in China. Let's hear straight away from my colleague Bill Summerskill, who has spent the past year working on this landmark Lancet series. Here he is talking to my colleague Andy Kiriakou. Well, this is the Lancet series on health system reform in China. This has been in progress for over a year now, and it includes 12 comment papers, seven theme papers, over 60 international collaborators, pulled together with the help of Lincoln Chen and the China Medical Board at Harvard and Dongzhe at Peking University. Okay, so China is the world's superpower and it's undergoing enormous economic and industrial transformation. Just in broad terms, how would you assess the current status of its healthcare system? Well, really, in disarray, Andy. Healthcare is too difficult to access, too expensive, and too variable in its quality. In fact, polls of ordinary citizens show that healthcare is their number one concern. Costs of a typical hospitalization, for instance, equate to the average annual wage. So, as a result, about a third of urban and approaching 45% of rural households have difficulty affording care. As a result, they will often go without. But although the system is fragmented, China does have the will, the finances and the personnel to provide better care. And it's now in the process of doing that by implementing universal health insurance with a goal of having this done by the year 2010. Okay, so focusing on health areas, what's the main challenges for China in tackling communicable diseases? China faces a variety of communicable diseases. The entire spectrum going from schistosomiasis at one end up to HIV AIDS, as well as several zoonoses which we wouldn't normally expect to see in other countries. On the basis of size, hepatitis B is the major burden, affecting 10% of the population. But a massive immunization campaign has helped reduce the incidence. And there are other signs of success too. The SARS outbreak in 2002 led to major reforms in the management of communicable diseases. And now, for instance, the China Center for Disease Control and Prevention is a highly respective, proactive institution. Another good news example is the management of tuberculosis. Here, China has been one of only four countries which had a high TB burden and yet was able to meet the WHO control targets in 2005. Chronic diseases related to lifestyle issues are important priorities also, Bill. Well, yes, there's been rapid socio-economic change, and this has condensed the time scale of transition between communicable and non-communicable diseases. And like other countries in Asia and elsewhere, China's coming to grips with less healthy diets, decreasing exercise, and increasing weight. Now, in a country with a population of 1.3 billion, everything is on a massive scale. Here we have a particular problem with the population being prone to hypertension and stroke. It's estimated that 177 million people have hypertension, but less than 10% of these overall are believed to be treated effectively. Add to that the fact that more than half the men smoke, and you have a public health catastrophe in the making. And the workforce in China's healthcare system also needs reform. There seems to be an imbalance in the distribution of healthcare workers. Yes, there is, Andy. As in other countries, health professionals are clustered in the more affluent areas. In China, for instance, the density of doctors in urban areas is twice that of rural ones. And for nurses, the difference is threefold. And interestingly on that note, China has more doctors than nurses. 1.9 million doctors to 1.4 million nurses. This is partly explained by low pay, so that employing a doctor is not dramatically more expensive than employing a nurse. Another consequence of this poor remuneration is that an estimated 200,000 graduates have left healthcare for other professions. And this, of course, in turn, 
exacerbates staffing issues. Is it right to say that with China, this is no ordinary Lancet series assessing a nation's healthcare system? Well, on one hand, like previous Lancet series, such as the one on health system reform in Mexico, we aim to inform care beyond just one country's borders by encouraging debate and further research in areas of common interest. But on the other hand, you're right in that China is no ordinary country. In many ways, health system reform in China is what one might term a perfect storm of massive and disparate health burdens, inadequate infrastructure and socio-economic inequality. But so too are her aspirations and resources unique. And will the launch of the series act as a catalyst for bringing together health researchers in China with international research programs which will open doors to a better understanding and improvement of China's state of health? I like that analogy, Andy. We very much regard this series as a door opener, through which we believe that better understanding can pass in both directions, to the benefit of healthcare within China and elsewhere in the world. But the series is not an end in itself, and this is important. It's part of a continuing engagement between the Lancet family of journals and collaborators in China. One example is the upcoming Lancet Asia Medical Forum on Stroke, which will be held in Beijing next November 14th and 16th. Many thanks to my colleague, Dr. Bill Summerskill. Now, connected to the Lancet China series, we published two profiles about eminent people in the Chinese health system, one of them being the Chinese Minister of Health, Chen Chu. Here he is being interviewed by Jonathan Watts, who has written a profile for the Lancet. This is Jonathan Watts for The Lancet. Earlier this month, I met China's Minister of Health, Chen Zhu. We discussed his plans for health reform in China and the way he hopes China's healthcare system will change in the future. The following is an abridged selection of his comments. I believe now we should enlarge our vision. <clears throat> healthcare does include medical service at individual level, does include public health to prevent infectious diseases and uh, chronic diseases, but healthcare should also cover areas, essential areas like food safety, clean drinking water and environmental protection, occupational safety in a country with very rapid economic growth. These things are fundamental, but not easy. <laughs> mm. So if, if you ask me for the impact of the rapid economic growth in China on the <laughs> healthcare, mm. I have to say that uh, on one side we have big achievements, on the other side we have mo quite problems or challenges of multiple level. I already addressed the issue of the unreasonable distribution of the medical resources, but now I have to add issues at another level, mm. the big, large concept of the healthcare. Mm. And I have to say that the, the healthcare teams in China are of high quality. This is no question. We are confident of the quality, the ethical quality, and the technical quality of our teams, but we need to give them a good mechanisms. Otherwise, in the long run, this good tradition will, be, will have the risk of losing. So we believe that it's absolutely necessary to start the pilot project for the reform of the big hospital. 
public hospitals. Where, where will the pilot project begin? We should be very prudent, we should be very careful because this is a very sensitive area. So we are not going to do that maybe immediately in Beijing or Shanghai. <laughs> we are going to choose some <laughs> relatively media-sized uh, cities, you know, mm. and with relatively uh, good economic uh, and social development. Uh, yeah. You know, the, yeah. Because you need money. You, yeah. you, if you are going to do that, you need money. Theoretically, hospitals should get more resources through different insurance system. Mm. And on the other hand, this insurance system to guarantee their own safety, mm. they will exert some control and monitoring to the hospitals. Mm. Yeah. I believe this is a very good system. If we took the system of NHS <laughs> mm. to put all the monies from the government to the, to, the, to the hospitals, and then we could see the problem of inefficiency. So we believe that we have to use this social insurance system in, in China. The rough estimation, mm. very rough, uh, if government can invest 25 to 30% mm. of the uh, budget, mm. whereas 70% or 75% of mm. the revenues in the future mm. can come from the social insurance system, mm. then that will be a good balance. Mm. This is something in our mind, but uh, I haven't yet discussed in detail with my colleagues. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> this is just my, my rough estimation. <laughs> I mean, what, what you were talking about, this is, I mean, revolutionary. It's a fundamental reform, change. Reform, reform. It's an absolutely well, fundamental we, change. We, what we, we are uh, going to take is sort of revolutionary concept but in practice, we are using uh, the approach of reform. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I mean, this is like we we've talked about the pendulum uh, swinging, yeah. and this is very much it seems from the market economy. Is is it swinging back? It's, it seems very much swinging back towards socialized healthcare. Is it fair to mm, call it that? I oh. prefer not to use uh, turning back. Okay. <laughs> uh, I, <you> know, <laughs> Turning back yes. means that old system of inefficiency, you yes, know. Yes. yes. Uh, let's say we are going to the second step of the reform. The Chinese Minister of Health, Zhen Zhu, concluding this special podcast launching the Lancet series on health system reform in China. If you are listening to this podcast via iTunes or another podcast aggregator, then do please visit our website to find out more about this landmark China series. Many thanks for listening. See you next time.